we are starting uh, a new series and a new study uh, that will take us uh, through much of the fall, uh, as much fall as we have here. I don't know what that really means. Yeah, through the less hot times, the cooler times. Anyway, uh, so except for just this short hiatus we've taken over the summer, uh, we've really been reading and learning from the words of Luke all year. You might not have noticed that, but from Advent uh, all the way through uh, the, the springtime, even in the beginning of summer, we were reading and learning from the words of Luke. With, uh, first, we looked at the parables uh, through uh, the Samaritan journey that, uh, that Jesus takes uh, towards the cross where he spoke about the kingdom through all of these incredible stories, kind of brought this focus this reality of the kingdom of God in ordinary life, like that's what all of those were, even how the kingdom of God comes to places that were opposed. Um, and then we also looked for a long season at the prayer of the kingdom that Jesus modeled, where Jesus taught us to pray like, Father in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, we learned that through the book of Luke also. Uh, and now we're coming to the book of Acts. And so we're going to be reading uh, from Acts. And in this, it's also written by Luke. Uh, you know, not all the books of the Bible are just named after the people who wrote them. So nobody is out there named Acts. Uh, there are tons of people named Acts, A-X-E, and they're really cool. I've met some Axels in my kids' soccer team. Really cool name. And like with that name, you're going to be athletic. It's just like guaranteed. So... Name your son's Acts. Anyway, the book of Acts is written by Luke. And in this book, I think uh, there's a lot that happens, but one of the things that, that Luke does is he converges these two big themes that are just evident throughout his gospel. This, this element of the kingdom and the element of prayer. And they all kind of come converging into this kind of colossal, uh, beautiful mishmash that becomes the reality of the church. That the kingdom of God, of heaven, all of those parables get enacted in real people's lives. Uh, that the prayer of God, your kingdom come, your will be done, lead us away from temptation, give us our daily bread. Those prayers, that model prayer of Jesus is just real and evident throughout uh, the entirety of the book of Acts. Uh, there's the, the parable of the, the mustard seed. Uh, if you remember, this little tiny seed that becomes this hospitality place for all of these other things to live. The parable of the yeast that, you know, like pressed into the water and the flower multiplies and grows. Uh, the fertilizer parable where suffering and hard things, God actually cares for us uh, and is actually growing us in that. You know, just reminder of there's the parable of the banquet, that God throws this big feast and invites all of these people in. And, and Jesus says, that's what, the, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Uh, the parable of the widow who's just persistent for justice. Uh, the, the parable of all of those sinners who are just like beating their chests saying like, I am in such need. Uh, all of those things uh, get enacted and become real in the book of Acts, uh, not just fun, loving stories. Uh, for example, there's this small band of about 70 followers of Jesus. Uh, you might think of like a mustard seed, like compared to the population of the world. And they become, uh, you know, a group of 3,000 in Jerusalem over a short period of time as they explain the good news and then becomes a movement that takes over uh, the entire known world in just, uh, you know, a hundred short years. You know, the yeast, the mustard seed. 
the mark of the whole new movement is a table where people are breaking bread together, sharing in life together. Uh, One of the key things you see through the book of Acts is that it's through persecution and suffering and pain that a lot of the the stuff actually happens and grows and and flourishes. It's not through, you know, the protected times. Uh, Even in times where it seems like a dead end, like these people are in jail, how can the gospel go out through them being in chains in jail? And yet, uh, it continues to move forward. Uh, We see the radical race grace of Jesus that brings, you know, terrible sinners and outcasts, you know, like the lost sheep or the lost sons or those sorts of things, those people get brought in to the family of God, like Paul or like, you know, jail people, uh, prison guards, or Cornelius is this one great guy, and uh, blind people, paralyzed people, they all get brought back uh, into the kingdom of God. It, it really is, if you read the book of Acts that way, it's kind of astonishing how much of the teaching of Jesus wasn't just good teaching, but is actually something you can expect to see in your life, in your daily life. Uh, the kingdom isn't just figurative stories. That's such good news. Like, it's not, it'd be like, that's a pretty good religion, right? Like, hey, we have this teacher, he told really compelling stories, and we just kind of try to, like, know those stories. That's an, that's an all right religion. Uh, but what the gospel is, what the truth about Jesus or Christianity is, is that the teaching of Jesus becomes real in ordinary people's lives through the power of his life, his death, his resurrection. That we don't just like, man, it's so good to just kind of conceive this stuff. It's that there's this incredible invitation, even expectation, that we would know it and see it. It would be like, yeah, I know the parable of the the lost sons because that's my story too. I've seen that story played out. I know the parable of the banquet because I've been brought into a table many, many times. Uh, and so that's, that's a big thing of what we're going to see throughout this, story, the, this kind of study. We're going to see uh, the parables become real. We're also going to see the biblical example of how those prayers, because what you see throughout the book of Acts is a lot of people like us praying all the time. It was like a first inclination isn't, oh, how much resource do we have, or how do we, you know, create this big heist where we can break these people out of jail, uh, which that's kind of, you know, heist movies, jailbreak movies, the best movies, period. That's the only, like, if you ever watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, those are the only episodes I really liked. It's like when they break people out of jail or heists. Anyway, they don't do that. That was a long example of how they don't do that in the book of Acts. Instead, they pray fervently with great passion, uh, God, may your name be made holy even in the suffering. Would your kingdom come? Would you give us our daily bread? Would you lead us away from temptation? Uh, And that that prayer, uh, not just a great thing to say, though it is, those prayers get answered. And I think through the book of Acts, one of the things we're supposed to take from it is an expectation that when we pray, your kingdom come, that it would actually come. Uh, We see that prayer answered of the kingdom come through, here's just a a big overview of what we'll see, uh, through the message of Jesus. These people, these uh, men and women who just share the truth about Jesus, the kingdom comes and that answers prayer, or that prayer is answered through that. Uh, we see the kingdom come through the community that God creates. 
uh, people added to their, their lives daily, needs met, like daily bread given and extended through the community that God creates. We see the kingdom come through circumstances uh, in people's lives. Even in suffering, his kingdom is coming and that prayer is answered. Through the story and the sharing of the story, the telling of the story of God, you see over and over again the kingdom comes. Uh, through worship, that the people of, of uh, the book of Acts are regularly, frequently just going about their lives towards worship, from worship, in worship, and the kingdom of God comes. Uh, through engaging in transforming culture. There's these points where, it's, where these, uh, the early church, in their prayers, uh, in their faithfulness, they engage with the realities of the cities that they live in. They engage in the culture uh, very poetically. They read what the culture is reading. They're listening to what the culture is saying. And then they articulate the gospel and the kingdom comes through that. Uh, we'll also see how uh, reasoning with the culture is actually a way that the kingdom of God comes. And then lastly, you see uh, through healthy churches where people are cared for, uh, where we walk through need and suffering, where we share in joy together, where we see each other built up and kind of equipped for this life of the kingdom, you see that God actually multiplies those churches through a whole area, through a whole region, and the kingdom comes. So that's the, that's the big preview of the book of Acts. Uh, there's more to say, obviously, about the book of Acts, and we'll do just that for like 10 weeks. Uh, but here's how you can engage. You're like, oh, do I just show up? And, uh, you know, that's how I'm going to get the book of Acts into my brain and into my heart and into my life. Uh, no. So you should show up. So there's good. Step one, you know, you could show up to these places. Uh, but also we've created a 48-day reading plan through the book of Acts so that you could, like, read the whole uh, story. We're going to be studying the book of Acts much longer than 48 days. So the reason it's 48 days is so that those of you who are very, um, you know, like particular and driven and, and then also then later feel shame, which is okay, we can talk about the shame piece too, or you feel guilty that you're not keeping the pace, or then you get overwhelmed by being behind, it's 48 days, so it's much shorter than what you need. So you can read some days, not, you know, anyway. 48-day reading plan, uh, basically a half chapter of the book of Acts each day. And then we also have a little guide to how you can read the scriptures and get the most from it. Uh, there's two real great practices. One's uh, asking four questions. What does this passage say about God? What does it say about what he's done? What does it say about who I am? How do I live faithfully to this passage? So there's that. There's a cool template you can download and print off. And then there's a more uh, mystical uh, way to read it of the Ignatian prayer, where you imagine yourself in the story. And what is Jesus saying to you uh, as you put yourself actually in the story, which is really great for the book of Acts because most of it is story. Uh, and then, <coughs> excuse me, lastly, we put together a little DNA discussion guide. Uh, so for you and your fellow group uh, can get together and engage uh, this, the book of Acts through that guide in DNA. And I think that through all of this, through pressing into it on Sundays and reading it on our own and reading it in community, uh, I, through all that, I kind of pray and I hope that we're going to say, uh, we're going to be able to see uh, that what was true 2,000 years ago for those first followers of Jesus is also true for us, that the kingdom of God does come 
It comes within us, it comes around us, it comes in our city, that we can actually have great expectation that the rule and the reign and the grace of God, that the love of Jesus is actually supreme and true uh, and powerful in this world, regardless of whatever uh, things look like on the outside, we know that the kingdom of God is coming like a mustard seed, like yeast and flour, uh, like a a widow pleading with the judge. We know that the good king uh, is actually coming and delights to bring his kingdom. So that's what we'll do. Does that sound good? You don't really have a choice. It's that kind of or that kind of structure. Anyway, uh, so we're going to jump in just a, really briefly. Uh, I want to start with just the beginning of Acts and uh, make a few, a few notes as we get started. Because it's one thing I could just tell you about Acts and then we pack it up for the day. But you should get a little taste of Acts. So that's what we're going to do. Acts chapter 1. Uh, in the beginning, at verse 1, it says this. In my former book, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is God's word. This, the, Luke kind of starts where he left off, gives a little great summary. It's a great summary for our souls all the time. Uh, that Jesus, that all the stuff, he began to do this great thing, he taught these great, wonderful things, and he gave these instructions as the risen king. Uh, This whole book starts with this assumption that the resurrection from death to life has happened in the person of Jesus, and that he now has all authority on heaven and earth. Uh, One quick thing as we dive into this whole study of the book of Acts is like sometimes, uh, traditionally, uh, the the long name of this book is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Like that's the long, so if you went back 2,000 years ago or 800 years ago, really, not 2,000. If you only go back 800 years ago and you're talking to people about the book of Acts, they would say, wow, you're really lazy. You should say the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Like, what are you, these Americans in the future are really lazy. That's what they would tell you. But what's interesting is that it's really not a book just about the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, Sometimes we get the idea that this book, like the Gospel of Luke, is about Jesus, and now this is about the church. 
Like, we're the center of this story. We can put ourselves into it and be like, yeah, yeah, so this is how we should be the church. This is how we should do the mission of God because it's about us and what we do. Uh, We might even, in our brains, be like, our acts, like, what are we going to do? It's time for us to, you know, get in there and engage. And that's a lot of it. It's about how we're invited, though, into Jesus's thing. Uh, It's really telling the way he starts. He says, in that last book, I told you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, This kind of, this is what he started, and he's still continuing Like, that's what the word is. Even though Jesus has ascended, no longer, like, walking around earth, right? But he's still doing and enabling and making this kingdom happen. Uh, So one of the first things that we need to, to understand is that the kingdom coming is all about Jesus, not about us. I think in our individualistic kind of Santa Claus view of God, Uh, we might think that it's all about us, really. Like, even that the gospel, it's the good news for me and you, right? It's good news for me that, like, the whole of the universe and all of the story of God, the pre-existing one, is about me being happy. But that's not what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about uh, Jesus, the pre-existing one, who places the stars in the sky, who holds every atom together, knows you, creates you, and for his glory is on this mission of restoring every broken thing. And it includes your work, it includes your hobbies, it includes your soul. But in the end of all things, we will gather around and not say, Wow, what a great story about Brad, which is, you know, my name. We will gather around and we'll say, what an amazing story about Jesus the King and what he has done. Oh my gosh, so much glory should be given to him over and over and over again. Uh, That's what it's all about. Not, you know, our political views advancing or being correct or about our scientific stuff or our hobbies or our career growth or our environmental aid. Like you can read the Bible that way and say, man, this is, this is exactly what I always like. And so God should get on board with my thing. The, the book of Acts is actually describing so much more about a restoration of all things that centered around Jesus and him alone. Uh, the other thing that you see just pretty quickly is that that restoration has begun and is going to continue and it's here. Uh, It's like waiting for a train that's already arrived. Uh, What a wonderful thing. Uh, The the second thing, uh, just as we get a taste of Acts, is that he he gives us a new identity that comes from heaven onto earth. It's a kingdom identity, and it's from his power. Uh, the, the, The actions... Of, the, of Jesus, the gospel, his life, his death, his resurrection, changes who we are, uh, fundamentally changes our identity. Uh, typically, identity in how we get identity comes in this sort of progression. You know, I do something, uh, people tell me that that's who I am, that I did those things, and then I believe that I am the things that I've done, And so I either have to keep doing it to keep feeling like that's who I am, or I stop doing it because I don't want to be that, you know, what I am. So for example, it's like I talk on Sundays, right? That's one of the things I do, or I read books. And so people are like, man, that's who you are. You're a talker and a book reader. 
And I think, man, I like feeling like I'm a talker and a book reader. So I better keep talking and keep reading books, keep being smart like that so that I can continue to be who I am. Uh, the other way to, to look at it is, you know, I'm a, you know, I do all of these, you know, selfish, angry things. And so then other people around me say, well, you're just selfish and angry. And so I think, well, I don't want to be selfish and angry, so I better stop doing those things so I can reclaim some other identity, right? Because in our heads, we're like, I'm going to be a good, nice person. You know, I want to be like one of those good characters in the story. The truth is like, uh, you know, then another way that maybe identity works is that you have some sort of power or authority or position, and you're given it, you know, like you apply for a job, you're handed the job, you go to school, you get the master's, you get the diploma or whatnot, and it says, hey, you've now achieved this, you know. Uh, you're the grand parade marshal because you were given the paperwork, right? Um, and then you're like, well, that's who I am because I have that authority, that power, and that position. And then the way to live through life, because I like that, is to keep that power and keep that position because if I lose that position, who am I going to be? right? Uh, so just to keep using myself as an example, it's like, oh, I'm, a, I'm an elder and a servant in this church. Uh, oh, man, I really like who that is. I better keep that because, that, because if that position gets taken away, who am I going to be, right? Does that make sense? Uh, the kingdom of God is actually a grand reversal of that whole thing. Like you see here in the verse, it's uh, in verse 8, where it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. This is, it's a big reversal, and it's a reversal that happens throughout the whole New Testament. It happens over and over again. That Jesus actually has power. He's the one with the power and the position. He's the king. He has complete like authority. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. That's his status. That's who he is. And he's done something. He's emptied himself, he's died, he's walked in this world, he's healed, he's redeemed, he's restored, he rose from the dead to conquer all sin, death, and evil. Like, so he has the power, and he has done something. And what has he done then? He's given power and his position and his status to you, to make you something different. Uh, he took on your deaths, or your sins, so that you could be set free from sin. He walked in death so that you could be alive. His resurrection is your resurrection. He, he turns your bitter heart into a whole heart filled with joy. He turns your mourning into gladness, right? That's what he does by his power and his actions. And so then you have something new. You're a new creation, a new identity in Christ, and nothing can take it away because your new identity has nothing to do with some position someone gave you because you earned it and you, you know, passed the exam or whatever. No one can take it away because Jesus has already passed the exam and given that position. Also, your identity can't change because you do something wrong or you, you go astray and that you maybe have to earn. And like, this is why I talked to the, a lot of the guys about Friday night, they were getting sleepy, but I kept talking to them about it anyway. They're like, you don't have to perform to be like, I'm a child of God, I'm a son of God. It's just something that you are, and it's a gift that can't be taken away from you. And it's all from God because of what he's already done. So that those facts don't change. His authority doesn't change. Therefore, your identity in Christ cannot change. 
wow, this is amazing, right? And so this is an occasion where Jesus is saying very clearly, you have been made new. I've given you a new identity based on my power that I'm just freely giving. I'm giving you power. The Holy Spirit comes and you have a new identity and it's witness. Pretty awesome, right? And I'm going to use a big word, sanctification. Big word, lots of syllables. It's actually underlined red right here because I don't know how to spell it. That's how big of a word it is. I should have fixed that earlier. Uh, sanctification is the process in which we become holy, like Jesus. This long process. Sanctification is, the, is this process. Sometimes we think about like, okay, Jesus saved us, redeemed us, and like that's really good, and now I need to get my act together, like right now get my act together, uh, to kind of prove, like, hey, I was one of the good people, it was worth saving, you know? Like, you know, you did all that stuff for me, and now I'm kind of throwing in my bits to show you that, like, I'm really good now. Sanctification is actually this process of kind of increasingly living lives aligned to our identity that can't be taken and can't be changed. So the life of the Christian is to say, I am a son of God. I am a, a citizen of the kingdom. I'm a, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a follower of him. He's made me those things. And now, increasingly through my life, I get to live like my name. I get to live like who I am. Uh, we, you know, like, you all have a name. Hopefully it was given to you on purpose. If not, you know, like, we could give you a new name with lots of purpose. But, like, we named our kids with really intense purpose. Like, Truman. Uh, it's pretty, like, on the face. We wanted him to be a true man of God. That's why, we, you know, we just cut the E out and said Truman. Uh, it's not because we love the former president or that Jim Carrey movie. Like, that's not, it's a cool movie. Uh, he was a pretty good president as far as presidents go. But we named him that because we have this prayer and this longing for him that he would be a true man of God. And that's his name, and it can't be taken away. Uh, but what he will get to experience, even as a baby, it was a little odd. Like, how is he going to be a man? Like, he's not a man. Like, his name doesn't align with him. Like, he needs us to eat and to clean his diaper and all of these things. Even now, he's just learning how to read and pronounce the word girls correctly. How is he going to be a true but each day as he grows up and that prayer becomes more and more real, he grows up and becomes his name, a true man of God, like by his grace, and hopefully that happens. The same is true for you. You've been given a name, a witness of the things of God. Like that's your name, that's who you are. The process of sanctification is becoming more and more who your identity is in daily, real, lived out life. And the reason I spend so much time on that is that that's just a bedrock value principle driver for our church, that uh, we're all to be rooted in our identity first, who we are in Christ, before we even start talking about what we do and, and how we act. Because you can reverse that order really easily, right? Hey, you all need to perform, and then we can say you belong, right? Or if you, you know, show us what you've got first, and then we'll let you know if you've got talent, right? That's why I actually, I hate the like talent shows for many reasons. One, like 
Simon Cowell. It's like, get a new life, right? Like, get a new job. Like, how long can you milk this being, you know, judgmental thing for? But I think what I don't like about it is because it always hurts my soul every time I watch even a clip of that is because, like, man, that's what we've made the church. Like, there's some people who are on the inside, and we have this, like, nice, neat, like, thing, and we just look at people perform and be like, mm, you're, I guess you're kind of good enough to go to the next round and to keep being part of the kingdom of God thing that we've got going around here. It's actually like the kingdom's the opposite, though. Jesus says, no, here's your new identity. Here's who you are. You belong. You are a child of God. You're a servant of the kingdom. You're a missionary sent by me. That's who you are now. And then we're going to talk about the doing afterwards. And that's the pattern of the New Testament as well. Uh, Our being comes first. Uh, We talk about being before we talk about doing. and the, the, the kind of humble thought is, if we all knew who we were in Christ, what a difference that would make. And so we are a community of people that reminds each other of who we are over and over again, and then how to live in light of who we are. Uh, and this says that we're witnesses. Pretty great. Uh, witnesses of what? Witnesses of what we've seen Christ do, what we've seen God do. Uh, we've seen, and I think it's pretty implied here, that the power gives them uh, the, the identity of witnesses to explain that Jesus is alive, not dead, that the kingdom is true, not a dream, that Jesus died, rose again, came to life, and broke all the chains of sin and death and evil forever. And we've seen that, and we're witnesses of it, and we can't take it away. It's who we are. It's who we are everywhere we go and everything that we do. And then he sends us. So not only are we just like witnesses hanging out, but we're also sent. He says, you're going to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He sends them to the ends of the earth with this great purpose and power and blessing. Um, this sending is kind of a grand, uh, another big reversal of how the whole Bible has worked up until now. Uh, and you're like, how is that? I'm going to tell you. So in the beginning of the story, there's the garden, Adam and Eve, they live this wonderful, beautiful, abundant life, like heaven, earth, one thing, it's really amazing, they know each other, God knows them, great. They sin, rebellion, brokenness, what happens to them? They're sent out further away, east of Eden, right? They're, 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 they're moved further away. Why? Because of the curse, because of sin, because of brokenness, they get pushed further and further away. Uh, And that even becomes then the model for what happens when sin and rebellion and darkness and brokenness happens. People are sent further away. That's why you, uh, you know, travel around. That's what happens to the people of Jerusalem when they rebel against God for generation after generation. They worship other things. They do all sorts of injustice to each other. They ignore the prophets. They ignore the people speaking truth. And what God does then is an exile them and takes them and he sends them to the ends of the earth because they sinned and they rebelled, right? Do you see that, that kind of pattern? It's, a, it's an outflowing of the curse of sin and brokenness. What Jesus does here is this remarkable reversal because he's conquered the curse, he's conquered death, 
He's conquered sin, and now he sends us all to the very ends of the earth in this life and this abundance that wherever we're walking, we're now like the people of good news that are blessed and not cursed. It's this amazing thing that you're now wrapped up into this sending that every time God puts you in a new place and takes you into another you know, realm or community or culture or whatever, you're not doing so because God is like trying to get you to do something really hard and break you down. It's actually because God is uh, sending you as a person of blessing who's received the gospel, has become a witness to now like there isn't the curse of like moving and getting scattered around. It's actually this blessing of always knowing you're in the kingdom, you belong to Jesus wherever you go. You can't be sent out of the city. You can't be sent out of the garden. It's pretty great. Uh, It also means that God has a global heart, a heart for all nations, for all people, for all cultures, that he's not sending us out there to be with these crazy people in LA because, you know, somebody's got to do it. It's that God has this deep love for all peoples of the earth that they would encounter a witness, that they would encounter a testimony of how Jesus changes others. Uh, Christopher Wright, this great Irishman that uh, some of you guys had to read because you did City Seminary, uh, he writes in his book, The Mission of God, he says, mission arises from the heart of God himself. Uh, That's really important because it's not a, you know, an American industrial thing of like, man, if we could just put another Starbucks or another church on each corner of the city, we could like get some really great revenues. So like, let's Let's globalize this Christianity thing. No, no, it says mission arises from the heart of God himself. And this mission is communicated from his heart to our heart. Mission is the global outreach of the global people of a global God. That the kingdom of God doesn't know any boundaries and he's saying here, you're gonna go and be a witness to the very ends of the earth. This is really great news. Uh, lastly, um, just want to remind us uh, that this is a taste of the book of Acts, uh, that this is uh, just the beginning, but it starts with understanding that the, this whole book is about Jesus, that the whole book is about what he's done and what he keeps doing, uh, that this book is about our identity that just comes from him and nothing else. Um, and over the next uh, eight, ten weeks, you know, we hope to even through the book of Acts clarify our hopes, our dreams, our vision for this church that directly comes from scriptures. Like we've done that in years past, so we're doing that again through like First Peter, through Ephesians, last year our whole sent together thing, uh, and now this year we're going to be doing that through Acts, understanding who are we as a church. Uh, and I hope that it's a season where we get to recapture and reimagine like the biblical vision for any family of God anywhere and that we get to experience it afresh and that we also get to be like people that continually learn and have that posture of, oh, there's still so much more to learn from following Jesus. Uh, And so if you're new, it's gonna be great because you're gonna see like this is what our church is about. If you're old, it's gonna be great because you've probably already forgotten, oh, this is what our church is all about. Uh, I thought it was about putting up chairs and the new curtains and stuff. It's like, no, no, following Jesus 
uh, is the heart of everything that we do. And so we're going to learn how to do that this week, or this season. Uh, Now as we go and take communion, I I just ask you to take, and maybe something you can declare to each other uh, in your, uh, whoever you take communion with, is this is what I've witnessed uh, Jesus do. Uh, Sort of live out your identity as a witness, as a missionary to one another and say, this is what I've seen Jesus do this last week, this last month, or whatever. Uh, And then we'll respond and worship a little bit more too. Uh, I'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the the goodness of your word and your scriptures, uh, how they uh, never fail to encourage and challenge uh, and kind of even bring us into a real orientation of what the world is like. God, I pray that we would see um, with joy your rule, your reign, uh, your authority 